Hey, good morning, church. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Brian Guy. I'm the next-gen pastor here at First Baptist Hanford. That just means I, I oversee our kids and our student ministries. Uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, usually we are, <laughs> I love it, energy. Usually we are uh, out of town during things. When I say we, I mean my, my wife and my child. We're usually out of town during Thanksgiving break. But this is our first year in a long time that we've been in town, which meant that we got to jump in on that Wednesday food distribution. And man, it was it was incredible. So I want to encourage you, if, if you're able to next year, jump in on it. it it's awesome to, um, to just be a blessing to the community. Anyways, uh, during COVID, my wife and I decided to go through the, in all of the MCU movies in timeline order. And if you're like, what did you just say? It's okay. That just means you're not a nerd. And the MCU movies means the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, okay? Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And for those of you that recognize it, I'm sorry. I'm there with you. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Um, so with that... My wife and I, we had seen a few, like we, we watched the first Iron Man way back in the day. We watched the first Guardians of the Galaxy, but we weren't really big into Marvel or really in any sort of um, superhero movie. But a lot of our friends were, and pop culture was, and we're like, man, are we missing out on something? So with COVID being COVID, and we're locked in our home for um, what felt like forever, we decided, hey, this is a, this is a perfect opportunity to, to watch all of these movies. And it's a lot. It, they, they, there are a lot of movies um, that Marvel has produced. And so um, we jump into it, we start watching them, and I learned a few things. Uh, the first thing I learned, man, never underestimate uh, how many hours an American can sit in front of a television set and just keep watching TV. It, it was mind-blowing. And then also, what, what was more pertinent to this morning was that we, we noticed a lot of superheroes have something in their, um, that happened in their life that enabled them to do what it is that they do. What I mean by that, think about Spider-Man for a moment. Like, Spider-Man is his superhero name or whatever, and, but his normal name is Peter Parker. And so Peter Parker, before he had his superpowers, is just a normal dude. He just gets bullied. He's, he's a cool dude, but he, he's not, nothing special. But then there came a moment where he's bitten by a radioactive spider, and he develops all of these powers. Like, he's shooting webs out of his wrists. He's climbing up walls. He's hanging from ceilings. He has this super strength. He's able to fight these villains, these bad guys. Like, Peter Parker, on his own, like, his own effort, without being bit, like, he would die <laughs> if he's going up against the people he's going up against as Spider-Man by his own efforts. But he's not by his own efforts. He, he got bit, and something enabled him to be more than who he was as just Peter Parker. And just like so many superhero backstories, when it comes to worshiping God, we, too, are incapable by our own efforts, so this morning, we're wrapping up our series on worship. It's been fun. It's been a fun four weeks. And so um, I hope you've enjoyed it as well. But Pastor Peter kicked it off by talking about how worship is, is just bringing glory to God. It's making God's name great. It's, it's praising and, and honoring him for who he is and what he's done. That, that is worship. And it encompasses all of our being, all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And not just all of our being, but everything that God has given us, like our finances, our gifts, our abilities, our talents, like all of that goes toward, toward praise and worship and glory of God. Now, 
when, last week, Brian Asbury talked about the importance of corporate worship. Like, we come together as the body, as brothers and sisters of the faith. We come together, and we come together with a reverent heart full of joy before the Lord, and we sing songs, we read from his word, we, we learn, we encourage one another, and this is all worship toward God. And so as we wrap up our series on worship, there's one last thing we need to talk about. And that's the the Holy Spirit's involvement in guiding our worship. Oftentimes it seems like the Holy Spirit is, is the forgotten person of the Trinity. If you don't know what I just said, let me break it down a little bit because there was some churchy lingo in there that might be a little bit difficult. So we believe in one God. Like all throughout Christianity, we believe in one God. That's like a foundation of our faith, one God. And that one God exists as three distinct persons. And you might recognize it as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, oftentimes when we just are talking about God, we're oftentimes talking about God the Father. We don't realize it, but we are. We're oftentimes talking about God the Father. So we recognize God the Father. And then God the Son, I mean, that's Jesus, who is the foundation of our faith. Like all of, all of our salvation rests on his life, his death, his resurrection. So we know the Son. We know Jesus. We know Father. We know the Son. But oftentimes... We neglect or we forget about the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, who shares in that, that divine, um, all those divine characteristics and attributes of who God is. Now the thing is, when we try to understand worship, we can't help but include the Holy Spirit. Like we have to. If we're talking about worship, we have to talk about the Holy Spirit. As we're going to see here in just a minute, true worship takes place in the spiritual realm. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to enter into that space. Now, even as I say that, I'm sure there might be some people in the room who are a little bit taken aback. Like, you, your, your warning signs might be going off. You might have some red flags. Like, what's this guy talking about? Spiritual realm, spiritual, like, all of a sudden we start to kind of distance ourselves. Like, okay, I'm on guard of what he's about to say. Like, it's a natural reaction. And I think that's because of the environment that we've grown up in. Like, I, I think it's safe to say that most everyone in this room grew up in the United States, which means that we've grown up in a first world um, Western country. And to be in that type of secular culture means that there are certain philosophies um, that, that have stuck in our culture, in our society throughout time that have built upon one another, that have created the environment and the atmosphere that we're in today. Because when you think about it, like secular culture today, we're not very spiritual. I would say we're the opposite, right? Like we want to be able to see, we want to be able to touch, to feel, to taste, to hear the things that are real. And if we can't examine those things, then we're like, those, those, like, those, those aren't real. Because in secular society, in, in culture, we say that if we can't observe it, then it's not real. If we can't explain it, it's not real. And, and that doesn't mean that there are things that we we can't explain, like, there's things that we cannot explain, but we think, okay, we can get to that point where we know it. And you see, the, the problem is there are, um, you know, thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, and four thousands of years, humanity believed, okay, there is a spiritual realm all around me. Like, there's good and there's evil all around me. That was just a given in culture and in life. And then there came a point where someone said, well, okay, hold on. What if 
God isn't among us, but actually God is in the heavens, distant and separate from us. Like maybe he looks down and he knows what's going on, but he's, he's far off in the heavens. He's not part of our everyday lives. And that stuck. And that became part of our culture as, as humans. And then later on, it was like, okay, well, maybe that far off distant God, what if he's like actually not looking down on us? What if he created us and left us to our own devices and then it's just gone? And then slowly that became the norm. And then soon we get to the Enlightenment, which, I mean, is, is responsible for where we are today in modern society. But it's like, okay, there's no more spirituality. There's no more, there's no more things that we can't see. Like, we know what exists because we can explain it. That's how we've gotten to where we are. So when I say true worship is experienced in the spiritual realm, I'm willing to bet that most people, even those who maybe grew up in the church, felt a little uncomfortable because we're naturally inclined to be on guard against things that, okay, we can't prove. And the spiritual realm isn't something that you prove. It's something that you experience. This is why we're more inclined to believe that worship happens in locations like this. It's, it's easier for our minds to associate this location as the place in which we meet God. And I don't think that's true. I think it's, it's important that we gather. Like Pastor Brian Asbury did a great job showing that it's important that we gather. The Bible, God wants us to gather together. But our worship doesn't just take place in this room. It takes place in the spiritual realm. And I hope you've, you've caught on to what we're talking about this morning. Because now our focus is going to be on how the Holy Spirit enables that worship. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 3 and 4. Um, we're going to be starting in 3 and then jumping to 4. If you brought your Bible with you and you're like, I have no idea where that is, no worries. Open up the table of contents in the front and you'll see two major sections. You'll see the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament is just everything before Jesus came. New Testament is the life of Jesus and the start of the church. And when you're there, the large numbers are the chapters and the smaller numbers are the verses. So again, we are in John chapter 3. As you turn there, a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem wrote that genuine worship is not something that is self-generated or that can be worked up within ourselves. It must rather be the outpouring of our hearts in response to a realization of who God is. Focusing on that last part. An outpouring of our hearts in response to a realization of who God is. So genuine, authentic, heartfelt worship cannot happen if we do not recognize God for who he is. That being God Almighty, maker of the heavens and the earth, holy and pure, the giver of life, the source of joy, the one who, who raised people from the dead, the one who fed thousands with a few fish and a few loaves. That is who God is. And when we realize who God is, then we can worship him. But realizing who God is, it doesn't just happen by our own efforts. So before we get to John 3, one more. There's, there's a, a guy by the name of Martin Bucer who said that before we believe in God and are inspired by the Holy Spirit, we are unspiritual. 
And for that reason, we are completely unable to apprehend anything relating to God. So all the wisdom and righteousness which we possess in the absence of the Holy Spirit are the darkness and shadow of death. So what Bucer is saying is that apart from the Holy Spirit, we aren't even able to grasp who God is. And therefore, we're not able to worship God. But thanks be to God that he didn't leave us in the darkness, that he didn't abandon us. So with that, let's look at John chapter 3. Um, we have this conversation between Jesus and a religious leader named Nicodemus. And um, Jesus gives us some insight into all of this. So in verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that the Holy Spirit enables a person to see God for who he really is. Now, theologically speaking, we call this uh, sorry, illumination of revelation. The Holy Spirit shines a light on God in our lives and allows us to be able to see him in all his glory and see his, like, how amazing he is and who he truly is. Now, if you're a Christian, then you've experienced this. You just might not put it into these words or into these, in, into these terms. Like for me, I, I can recognize times in my life before the Holy Spirit illuminated who God was. Like I, I can recognize that, man, I was in darkness, meaning I did not know who God was. Like you, you know, at age 14, you can give me a Bible. I can read through it. That doesn't mean I know who God is. I didn't know who God was. In fact, I had this friend named Eugene. I remember this, this very vividly. My friend Eugene and I were walking to school one morning, and, and we were chatting about God and about um, just heaven and hell. And we were both came to the conclusion, we're like, hey, you know what? If there is a God out there, there's no way he would send us to hell. We're not that bad. Like, that, that's where we were. That's what we were thinking. We didn't really understand who God was. I didn't understand who God was. I didn't know who God was. But I, I know the moments that the Holy Spirit illuminated in my mind and in my heart who God is because I, it was at summer camp. I've, heard, I've shared this story before, but it was at summer camp. It was back in, in 2008. And I remember like a switch flipped on. And I remember exactly, I, like this is who God is and this is, I want this. Like I want to know God. I want to follow him. There was something inside of me. I felt it. It was the Holy Spirit who was moving inside of me and pulling me in the direction of God. And now I know that experience of the Holy Spirit illuminating who God is, that's illumination of revelation. Now, like Jesus told Nicodemus, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So this isn't something that we can do by our own efforts. No matter how hard you try... It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus is talking about how he's like the wind, you don't know where the Holy Spirit's moving. You don't know, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you, you know it when you feel it. 
you have a personal experience where you're like, oh my, I can't explain that. I felt it, but I can't explain it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like the wind, you feel the wind, you see its effects, but you can't grab it. You can't take hold of it. So it is with the Holy Spirit. Let, we're going to jump to John chapter 4 here in just a second, but I want to I give one more quote, and it's from John Calvin, to really kind of solidify what we're talking about here in John 3. So John Calvin wrote, Now we shall have a right definition of faith if we say that it is a steady and certain knowledge of the divine benevolence toward us, which is founded upon the truth of the gracious promise of God in Christ and is both revealed in our minds and sealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, faith is built upon the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing in our minds and sealing in our hearts who God is and his immense love for us. It is important that we understand we can't even begin to have faith without God first opening our eyes to who he is. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. Like, God is worthy of so much of our praise and our glory and adoration. Like, think about, he could have left us in darkness and he didn't. And he still doesn't. So, once the Holy Spirit has done this work of illumination, and we surrender our lives to God, we we are then able to worship God the way he desires, in spirit and in truth. So fast forward to John chapter 4. In this passage, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he has this interaction with a woman at the well. And he's alone, she's alone, they're drawing water, and they start to have this conversation. Now normally we would go over all the contextual things here and be like, this is very strange. It doesn't really help us this morning. What does help us is the conversation they're having. Because they're, they're discussing the proper place of worship. And as a Samaritan woman, she, she believes, okay, to truly worship God, you need to do it in this location in Samaria. And Jesus says, well, actually what the Jews believe is it's supposed to be in this specific place and it's supposed to be in Jerusalem. And so you have these people groups who are saying, no, there's different areas for proper worship. And then Jesus just completely turns everything upside down. So let's jump into John chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will, fi- uh, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So like I said, this this woman is concerned with the physical location of worship. And I get it. Like to a degree, we still sort of do this. Like I, I can recall a time during COVID when um, churches across America were getting angry that we, we couldn't meet together or we shouldn't meet together and people were, were angry about it. And I get it. Um, but again, we're concerned with a physical location. Now, what Jesus is trying to help us see is that he ushered in a new kingdom. 
When Jesus arrived, he ushered in a new kingdom. And this kingdom hasn't been completely solidified here on earth. That's going to happen when Jesus returns a second time. But, but he ushered in this new kingdom that we get to experience, that we get to step into, that is within the spiritual realm. As Christians, we talk about this kingdom as the, the already, not yet. Like we are already a part of it, but it's not yet finished. Worship happens in that spiritual realm of the kingdom of God. That is where true, genuine, authentic worship happens. So yes, we gather together as believers in spirit, uh, in a spirit of reverence toward God, a spirit of joy, and we sing songs of praise, and we, and we, we not just lift our voices, we lift our hands as well, right? And, and we open up God's word, and we learn from it, and we encourage one another through it. And we do all of that here in this room, but that isn't where our worship is taking place. We are physically here in this room, but our worship is taking place in the spiritual realm. Jesus said, the Father is seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. Like, I love that the NIV uh, translation. I, I don't know if you know this. The Bible has different translations in English because it was originally written in, in Greek and Hebrew. And so... Um, there are different translations that try to go word for word from, from the original language. And then there are some that try to go thought by thought. And then there are some that are paraphrasing. And so the NIV, which is what I'm preaching out of and we throw up there, that's NIV. That's like kind of thought for thought. It's trying to be authentic to the thought of the author. But then when you look at translations that are a little bit more conservative, that are trying to go word for word, you see that what it's talking about isn't, because it, the way it's phrased here is in the Spirit, almost in reference to the Holy Spirit. But, but what we're really trying to get at in the original text is that it's, it's a location. Like when we say in Spirit, it's in the spiritual realm. So the NIV, I mean, obviously they're a lot smarter than me. But um, when you look at it, that's what we're trying to get at. Like they're arguing over location, Samaria, Jerusalem, but really it's a spiritual realm. And we get to enter into that. And what's really cool is when you look at Hebrews 12, we're not going to go there, but when you go to Hebrews 12, we see that when we worship and we enter in that spiritual realm, we're joining believers from throughout history, saints of the past, and we're joining the heavenly host as we declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Like, we get to join into that because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has awakened in us our spirit, which meets God in that heavenly place, and we're physically here. Like, that's what we're experiencing, whether we realize it or not. If you take anything away this morning, take away this thought. It is the Holy Spirit who enables and guides our worship in the spiritual realm. What's beautiful about all of this is that worship isn't limited to our gatherings here on Sunday mornings. It is important that we gather here Sunday mornings, but it's not limited to it. Like I think about um, if you have a child or a grandchild and you're with them and maybe you're at the park and you have a moment to just say, hey, what's crazy is God made that. And you look at a tree, right? And this beautiful tree, you're like, whoa, you're like, yeah, God made that. Like he spoke it into existence. That, that bird, he made that. He knows that bird. The clouds in the sky. This is a moment where we're teaching our children about who God is. Man, that is worship to God right there. And in that moment, our spirits are with God. Or maybe you have an opportunity to serve somebody else, whether that be your spouse or serve somebody in the community. Man, your, that, your spirit is joining the heavenly realm there. 
So I want us to understand, like, our worship, it, it takes place physically wherever you are. But, man, you're, you're joining the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm, every time you worship. But all too often, we're cautious of anything we can't see, anything we can't touch or smell or taste or hear. And I'm telling you that there are things that we experience that we cannot explain. I can't explain what happened the moment the Holy Spirit illuminated who God is to me. I can't, I can't, I can only tell you I felt it. I experienced it. I, I can't put it fully into words. I can't explain how we enter a spiritual realm when we worship. But I can tell you it's real. I can tell you it happens because I experience it. And I can tell you that you're never going to experience it unless the Holy Spirit illuminates who God is to you. So, where do we go from here? You see, I'm not a fan of, of teaching you the Bible so that way you have more knowledge in your pocket. I'm not a fan of, of you having, like, all these theological phrases so you can throw them out during Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners with family. Like, I don't care about that. I hope you don't care about that either. What I care about is looking at the Word of God and seeing how it speaks into the reality that we experience and how we can step into things that are there, but we have trouble stepping into. So, uh, I'm going to give you a couple spiritual practices to try. Some of them you can try this week. Some of them you really need to make an effort to try maybe throughout this next year. I know, crazy, right? <laughs> give you something to practice this year. Um, so, with that, my intent behind this is for you to become more comfortable with spiritual things so that you can recognize God's presence all around you. So the first thing to try, and this one's really hard, but it's solitude. It's just being alone. So um, the first spiritual discipline to practice is solitude. Pastor Jeff's good friend Dallas Willard wrote that in solitude, we purposefully abstain from interaction with other human beings denying ourselves companionship and all that comes from our conscious interactions with others. It's literally taking yourself out of your community for a short time. I'm not asking you to be a monk, okay? So this is going to be hard. I get it. You have a family. You have a job, X, Y, Z. You can, you can list it. I get it. I'm there too. But it's so important for you and maybe talk to you, if you're married or, or what have you, talk to your spouse. It's so important for me to do this. But take a few days and be alone. Whether you go to the mountains, you go to the beach, I, I don't care. Just be alone. Don't be around other people. Just be alone. And just be present with God. That's why I said this one is probably going to take a year, right? Like it's going to take some planning. And when you're alone, don't be on your phone. Don't take a book. Don't take anything. Just be alone. Take food, okay, especially if you're camping. Take food. But be alone. Try it. It's going to be hard. Try it. Make an effort. Number two, this one's easy. You can try this this week. Silence. We're not comfortable with silence. I, I get that sometimes we try to be quiet and there's still background noise. But if it's, like, dead silent, it's awkward. Like, you're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable with it. I have to start, like, scrolling Instagram or something. Like, no way. I can't. So I want to encourage you to try to find space to be silent. 
Again, Willard describes silence as time when we close off our souls from sounds. Whether those sounds be noise, music, or words, total silence is rare. And what we today call quiet usually only amounts to a little less noise. So usually people are either morning people or night owls. Whatever you are, this week, maybe three times, carve out 10 to 15 minutes. If you're a morning person, when you wake up, Go somewhere where you're not going to hear your spouse snoring. You're not going to hear music playing or anything. Just whether that be uh, a spare bedroom, a closet, whatever it is, go somewhere where it's just silent. And just meditate on the goodness of God. Try to meet God in that silence. In that silence, man, it's tough. You got to face a lot of your own problems there, I promise. Things are going to start coming to mind. Try to just sit in that silence. 10 to 15 minutes. If you're a night owl, do the reverse. Before going to bed, find a quiet space. Make sure the TV's off. Make sure the music's off. Like, just find a quiet space and be silent. Or the third one, and if you notice, the bar is kind of lowering just a little bit each time. This one's, you can do this. Prayer. And what you're thinking, oh, I got this one on lock. I pray all the time. Okay, awesome. Uh, prayer is, is communication with God. Um, I don't know about you, but when I communicate with a friend, if my friend's just talking at me the whole time, that's not communication. So take time to listen to God. This week when you pray, make, make a point to just be, be silent, be still. And God, what do you have for me? What are you trying to tell me? And then just maybe 10, 15 minutes, just calm. Obviously, a lot of the, all three of those you really could combine into one, but think about it. Imagine what life would be like if we realized we're, we're not just physical beings. Like, we are spiritual as well. You see, my desire for us is to, to be comfortable with spiritual things so that we might authentically worship God. Remember what Jesus said, the Father desires people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Like that is who God the Father desires. People who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And maybe you're here this morning or you're joining us online and you've been battling something inside. Like you felt this pull toward God, but you, you've almost been like, I, no, I don't want to recognize that. I don't want to acknowledge that. Man, I'm trying to tell you that's God trying to pull you toward him. Stop fighting it. Stop. I'm done. Like, what do you have to lose? If God were to draw you into his goodness, if God were to draw you into his joy, what do you have to lose? Because you have everything to gain. You have life to gain. And God is, is wanting to illuminate in your heart and in your mind, deep into your spirit. He wants to illuminate who he is, that you can see his deep and immense love for you. A love that even while we were filthy and dirty in sin, came to earth, took on that filth, died in our place, and offers us new life. God's just trying to illuminate that in your spirit. And so if you're here this morning and you've been fighting God for some time, I want to encourage you, let go. I'm going to close this in prayer. And if that's you, man, I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to God. And I want to encourage you to step into that. It can be scary. 
but it's so worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we recognize you are so good that you are holy, that you are righteous, and that we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve you. But God, you, you've chosen to love us, to be committed to us, that even when we were dead in our sins, when we were spiritually dead, when we were filthy and covered in sin, you sent your son Jesus to die on our behalf, to take on that sin and nail it to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin and in return, give us life. God, you are so good. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for what you do, that you would illuminate who, who God is, that we would see the Father for his goodness, and that you would guide us in our worship, that we would join, join the, the saints in the past and sing holy, holy, holy. So if there's anyone in this room or joining us online who just needs to surrender and just give their life to God, I want to give you that opportunity. You see, it's as easy as the ABCs. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that by your own efforts, you can't do it. By your own efforts, you can't know God. By your own efforts, you can't enter into God's presence. By your efforts, you can't earn salvation. Just, you just have to admit, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And B, believe that Jesus is that Savior who paid the price for your sin and in return gives you his, his, his righteousness, who gives you life. And C, choose to follow him each and every day. God, we, we give ourselves to you. We love you. We praise you. And it's all this that we pray in the name of Jesus.